be in front of you as long as we have to be, and there'll be much better teaching later on in the week. But if you'll read with us in Hebrews chapter 5, I'd like to look at just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, even as we were thinking about this hour, thought we might just continue in Romans. We're in some really good Scripture in Romans in Sunday school, but this Scripture seemed to settle and, and be weighty. And this has always been to me a Scripture that amazes me. Maybe amazes is not the right word, but always wondered at the Scripture and what's said here. So uh, we won't read the first three verses, but he's speaking about the Old Testament priesthood and the high priest, that he was a man that God called from among the children of Israel. Aaron was the first. And he was put in place that he might be the go-between between man and God. If I had something to offer God, I came through the high priest. I could not go in and offer to God myself. The children of Israel could not go in and offer to God theirself. Not even in the Old Testament. There was a priesthood. There was a temple. There was a sacrifice. There was a high priest. And God had an order all through His Word as to how things were to be held. So this man was ordained for men in things pertaining to God, as he says. And verse 4 is where we'd like to start. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So this was not something that uh, a man volunteered to do. It wasn't something that the children of Israel got together and said, I think we want this man to be the high priest. This was a man that was called, chosen, and selected of God. That word honor, it means value, esteem, or dignity. And that's what man's looking for, for himself and himself alone. And a man that would covet this position is looking for that position that he might be exalted and looked to as the high priest. But you know, it's different when God does the calling. When God calls Aaron, the weight and the fear of the position settles on the man's heart. And it's no different than it is today. You're called to teach. You're called to preach. There's a weight and a fear that comes along with that. That's, that's the way God ordered it to be. But there's a pile of men today that desire that, and they desire that for their glory and not for God's. But this honor no man took to himself, not even Aaron. God chose Aaron to serve in place as a high priest. And in verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. Jesus wasn't born one day, and as he grew up, he decided, I want to be this servant of God. As he grew, he wasn't some highly spiritual man like you and I are, and he was uh, elevated to this position because he desired it. But he was chosen, and he was the only begotten of God, but he was chosen of God even before his birth. So he's going to say here, uh, glorified not himself to be made an high priest, 
But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So this scripture, this is from Psalm verse 2, or Psalm 2, verse 7. This is a quote from the Old Testament written by David years before Jesus was ever born. It was foretold, he was chosen then, that he was going to be the high priest. He was chosen then to be the servant of God. And we can go in Revelation and we can look, he was in place well before that as well that He was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So this plan of God then, this is not something thrown together haphazardly. It's not something that naturally evolved out of man. This was the direction and the choosing of God. Aaron was a man chosen out of all of Israel to serve as the high priest. And well, what if we don't want Aaron to be our high priest? Well, they rebelled against Moses and against Aaron in the Old Testament. And God opened the earth and swallowed those people up. See, when they rebelled against them, they were rebelling against the order that God had chosen for it to be. So here, Christ was chosen to be the mediator, the high priest, the go-between between man and God. In verse 6, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is a quote from Psalm 110, verse number 4. Again in reference to Jesus. Now you put yourself in the place when this letter was being written and addressed to the Hebrews those that were versed and knew the Old Testament Scriptures and that boasted themselves in those, he's not pulling stuff out of thin air and making bold claims that hasn't already been stated. But he's taking the very Bible, the very Word of God that they carried with them, and he's quoting that to them and saying, look, this Old Testament is speaking about Jesus. This Old Testament is speaking about one that was to come. And this Melchizedek, you could spend the rest of Bible school studying that. We don't want to do that, but we would like to think just for a minute what it means. Melchizedek was the man that Abraham met after that he had rescued Lot. You remember, you heard it in a message here just a few nights ago that Abraham rescued Lot in the battle of five kings against four, and he brought the people back. Well, he met the king of peace, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who the Bible says was a priest under the Most High God. We don't read anything of Melchizedek before that. We don't read where he was from. We don't read who his parents were. We don't read anything after that about where the man went or where that he uh, finished his life at. We just have that little window speaking of that man and it's amazing. The, the Old Testament, especially those first five books, they're about generations. The generations, you'll read that over and over and over in the book of Genesis. He's giving the history, laying out where man started and where he went, and where all of these tribes, all of the languages come from, you've got all that in Genesis. 
And yet here's a man that steps out of nowhere and steps back out of picture and we don't know anything about this man. That was by design and by intention. And whether this was a a real man or it was the pre-incarnate Christ, I've heard both explanations. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether it was Christ in the Old Testament or whether it was an actual man. The message is the same. Jesus is a priest after that order. Not after the order of Aaron. Not after the Old Testament priesthood. And he's going to say so in a couple chapters in this book. That he wasn't of the tribe of Levi, which is where all the priests came from. He was of Judah, Jesus was. And he wasn't a a priest as Aaron's, which was uh, in succession. Aaron died they selected a new man. And that happened all the way through the Old Testament. This priesthood wasn't to be succeeded. We don't know who followed Melchizedek in his line all through the Old Testament. But Jesus was the successor to Melchizedek and Jesus was to be forevermore an unchangeable, unalterable, and an eternal priesthood so that next year, no matter what happens... I don't have to worry, who do I need to go to now to offer my sacrifice? The Lord Jesus is the only mediator and the only go-between for man to come to God, to offer to God, to repent unto God, to pray and supplicate God. The Lord Jesus is the only means provided that men can come to the Lord. The only one. So that... uh, these Old Testament scriptures point to this truth already. This was not, and you know, you could say this over and over and over again, this was not something that was made up when Jesus died. It was not something that Jesus made up from His teaching and from His doctrine. This was all well documented beforehand. And Jesus was simply the fulfillment of what God had already spoken and already said. And so, Christ glorified not Himself, but it was written in the second psalm. It was also written in the 110th psalm that this man was coming to be the servant of God for man. Just like Aaron. Aaron was God's representative to the people and he was the people's representative to God. Such is Jesus Christ, but after a better order than what Aaron was. And so, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now there's more said there and more that can be seen than I'll ever be able to bring out. I believe we, we have an easy time seeing the Lord Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, the God that's on the right hand of the Father. But you know, the Lord Jesus, He was a man as well. Who in the days of His flesh... This man is not somebody disconnected. You know our leaders today, even of the United States of America, they're so disconnected 
from the life that you and I live. They've got no idea what it's like to live like you and I live. They've never had to. They've never had to work like you and I work. They've never had to live uh, from paycheck to paycheck like you and I live. They're completely disconnected from what the normal people face. Well, man could easily think that about God, that here's God in heaven separated from man. How can God know what I'm enduring and what I'm going through? Well, God went through it who in the days of his flesh... Now, we won't spend a lot of time right there, but we're going to look at a few places. In John chapter 1, very well-known Scripture, verse 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So you've got the Trinity, which is an impossible thing for me to grasp complete hold of, but you've got three separate beings that are one, individual, inseparable being. God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now we've got here, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was not created. It was not created when God created the earth. It was not created when God created man. But in the beginning was the Word. Just as Melchizedek steps out of eternity and steps back into eternity with no beginning nor end of days. Such is the Lord Jesus and such is God. In Genesis chapter 1, we don't have an introduction of who God is or where God is or where God comes from, but God begins His Word by saying, In the beginning God. He is the I Am, the ever-present, the eternal and the all-knowing being. So how far back do you want to go? In the beginning was the Word. That's past tense. The Word was there in the beginning. The Word was with God. They were together. And yet, the Word was God. Inseparable. One being in three. Also, you've got God. In the beginning, God. You've got the Spirit moving upon the water, and the Word, all three present and working and active in creation. And all three are present, active and working in all things today. So skip down to verse 14. And the Word, now this same Word from verse 1, the Word that was with God and the Word that was God, that Word was made flesh and dwelt, that's tabernacled, among us. The Word of God, God Himself, came down and was made to be flesh. He, was, he came and, you know, He wasn't descending out of heaven on a cloud. He was born from a woman. He didn't come a fully grown man. He came as a, a baby. He came and was subject unto parents. And He had brothers that lived in the same house. And He walked on the streets and He, and he worked. He was just like you and I was. He was a man. Now, He was God as well, but He was a man. As much as He was God, He was man. And we'll see that as we go on. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, I guess another uh, familiar and wonderful Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables 
when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter says this is not a fable that we've sat down and come up with, but I saw the man with my own eyes. And John, John is even more descriptive. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now he's talking about the word of life that he wrote about in the gospel of John chapter 1. My eyes seen him, I heard him with my ears, and I handled him with my hands. You remember at the Last Supper, there's John, the, uh, the, the disciple, the apostle, and he's laying his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus. This, this wasn't some fairy tale that nobody could see. It wasn't something that God done out of the sight of man, but he was a man that walked and lived among us, and there were eyewitnesses that seen him, and that held him, and that touched him, that spoke with him, and that knew him. A real, genuine man that walked among men. And he tabernacled. That's the word. Dwelt. Tabernacled. Just exactly the same picture that you have in the Old Testament. You know where the Word of God was in the Old Testament? It was in a tabernacle. In a tent in the wilderness. And there God walked amongst the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. God walked with them in a tabernacle. And the Lord Jesus Christ, not a tabernacle, not a type and a shadow, not something that man's hand had made, but the Lord Jesus was God Himself in a flesh like you and I, walking among men, facing life, just like you and I face life. So back to Hebrews now. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, so prayers, a petition or a request, supplications, an olive branch. When somebody was making a request, or was asking for assistance in that day, they would bring an olive branch. That was a sign that they were seeking help, asking a favor, looking for assistance. So here's the Lord Jesus, God Himself made to be a man, and in the days of His flesh, He with prayers and supplications, He is praying unto God the Father. Now God was here. God was in heaven as well. And God the Spirit came down and abode upon Him when He was baptized. Three, yet they're one. That, that message can't be lost or forgotten. That's ever important all through the book. There's three and they are one. And so the Lord Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying. Strong is forcible, boisterous, tumultuous, crying, an outcry of grief. It's not crying. He's, he's going to say that next. Strong crying and tears. So when he says strong crying, he's not talking about tears 
of sorrow, but he's talking about an outcry of grief. Grief that is so great that it causes him to cry out and with tears of sorrow and sadness and of a burden. So the Lord Jesus in the days of his flesh was brought to the place that he was drove to his knees with strong crying and prayer, making a request known unto God. I think we all know what that's in reference to, and we're going to turn and look at some of that Scripture. First in Psalm. Now remember, we've already looked in two places in Psalms. We're going to look one more, the 22nd Psalm. Verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now David wrote this, but very prophetic, wouldn't you say? The Lord Jesus is going to utter those very words on the cross. So without question, we open the psalm here and we know who this is speaking of. This is the Lord Jesus. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So here's the Lord Jesus. Here He is praying unto God. Here He is making requests. And do you see what He's sorrowful and heavy and weighty about? Let's look now in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 26. The Lord Jesus is going to face the cross, the most cruel death that ever has been. And not only that, but as He says there in the 22nd Psalm, He's going to face the the ridicule and the mocking and the rejection and the hatred of all of man. Now you, you think about it for a minute. You let one of your co-workers that you're friendly with reject you and despise you. Doesn't that affect you? Sure. You bring it even closer to the family. You let a family member reject you and despise you. That troubles the inward man. Now here's the Lord Jesus. All of His disciples forsook Him and fled. His brothers, we have written, that they made fun of Him and hated Him. And so here He is rejected of His own people, of His own tribe, of His own family, of His own disciples, and He's there alone facing the ridicule and the hatred of the high priests and the religious crowd And he sees that this is coming. He knew it. He says, for this hour came I. He knows why he's here. It was his mission. He prophesied of it to the disciples. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take me. 
They're going to take my life from me. I think we read that sometimes and we think the Lord Jesus, He went there happily and willingly and it was no trouble upon Him whatsoever. In the God-man, accomplishing the will of God was pleasing to Him. But remember, He's a natural man too. And as the hour grows close, listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I don't mean to, I don't mean to be confusing, but I feel like we ought to read this in Luke. This is Luke 22, verse Verse 41, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So here's the Lord Jesus. He's come into the garden after the Last Supper. And the hour of him being betrayed, now he's the all-knowing, all-seeing God. Remember he told Judas at the Last Supper, that that you're going to do, go do it quickly. He knew that this hour was here. He knew that he was about to endure the suffering that he had came for. And he knew everything he was going to go through. He knew it beforehand. And as this hour comes, the Bible says in Matthew, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And in Luke, He was in great agony. That fleshly man did not want to endure what he was about to endure. The fleshly man, and he says to his disciples in Matthew, or in Luke, I believe, it's in Matthew 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The man, Jesus Christ, did not want to endure the suffering and the shame that he was about to face. And in Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says that he endured the cross. He stayed under the load and the weight and the suffering of that cross, despising the shame. That was not an enjoyable experience for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man with a real body, with a real flesh, with real bones, with a real heart, with feelings like you and I feel. And there he was rejected of all of mankind. There he was hated of everyone, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And on top of the rejection and the laughing and the mocking of all men, he's going to go and face the torture and the suffering and the beatings of man. In Matthew chapter 17. I'm sorry, Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read a few different places here. Matthew 26 verse 67. Then they did spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. So buffeted, they punched him. Their closed fist, punching the man Jesus, 
spitting in his face, slapping him in the face, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? A mockery and making fun, covering the man's head, hitting him, and saying, Oh, prophet, why don't you tell me which one of us smote you? If you're really God, and if you're really God's man, tell us who this is. In chapter 27, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, the King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe from off him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to be crucified. So great suffering, great shame, great mockery, by the Romans and by the high priest and by the Jews, abuse that you and I would not endure if we could do something about it. Now the Lord Jesus has the power to do something about it. He's not being forced here. He tells Peter, I could call my father and he would send 12 legions of angels, more than 12 legions is what he says, I could get out from under this. Don't you reckon the temptation was there? Here he is rejected of all men. He's got feelings. He's a man like you and I are. Don't you reckon the temptation was there of the devil? Wipe these people off the face of the earth and prove who you are. And in doing so, no one would have salvation. All would be lost. But he endured. He stayed under. Now they're going to nail him to the cross. And in verse 46, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's the quote from Psalms. Some of them that stood there when they heard said, This man calleth for Elias. I guess they got that from Eli. Eli. They thought he's calling for Elijah to come down from heaven and save him. And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed, and gave him to drink. Mockery, cruelty, hatred, evil, wickedness at every turn and on every side. The rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Just leave him alone and let him suffer and let's see whether his request is going to be answered. So the Lord Jesus, having the knowledge of what was to come upon him, having the knowledge of the suffering and the pain that he was going to endure. He, as he's walking in the garden, and this hour is approaching, the weight of that begins to settle on him. And you know, on top of all of that, there's our sin 
being laid upon His shoulders. And He's going to bear the sin of the whole world on His back as well to the cross of Calvary. The weight of all of this falls on Him and His soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He was in such a place that He felt like He could die before He ever went to the cross. A place of great darkness, of great grief. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to go and He's going to pray. Pray to the Father. This is back in Matthew 26. He fell on His face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Look what He's praying for. Lord, if it's possible, and if there's a way... Don't let me endure what I'm facing. If there's a way for me to escape what I'm about to face, let me escape it. If there's a way for me to get out from under the cross, you see the man Jesus, the Spirit's willing. The Spirit's desirous. And you can see that in His prayer. Not what I want and not my will, but Thy will be done. But there was in His flesh that desire to get out from under all that He was about to face. And He's praying to God, God, if You would hear me, if it's possible, let this suffering pass from me that I wouldn't have to endure what I'm facing. And He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter. Now I realize that's one verse we've got that He prayed. But know this, that's not all that He said. That's not the totality of the prayer because He's going to say, could you not watch with me one hour? The Lord must have been praying for an hour in the garden. Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? Lord, would you allow me to escape the torment that I'm about to face? If there's another way for redemption... If there's another means for forgiveness, if there's another propitiation for man, would you let it pass from me and let it be some other way? And the Bible says in Hebrews, where we just read, He with strong crying and tears made this request known unto God and unto Him that was able to save Him. It's not to God. He was making request unto one that could have delivered him from the cross. Now remember this now. Remember that God through Jesus was going to bring salvation. And if God took him from the cross, there would be no redemption. But he's praying unto one that's able to deliver him from this place. He's praying and making requests unto one that's able to make a difference. And the Bible says, and was heard in that he feared. So the Lord Jesus is making requests. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And not just praying words like sadly we so often do. We pray words. We pray thoughts. But here is a man that in his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. I believe that's where sinners get to when they pray. 
when God's weight of conviction and guilt and the fear of judgment settles on their heart. You know really what that is? You could call that a lot of things. But God lets you feel the weight of your sin and the guilt of your sin and the fearfulness of the judgment for your sin. That brings man to a place of exceeding sorrowfulness. Well, now the Lord Jesus ain't just carrying mine, nor yours, nor this generation's, but the whole world's. And He's exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. A man with desire, a man seeking to avoid what he's about to face. Not just a man, but the only begotten Son of God. And we'll get to that in a minute. And his prayer was heard by God. Now, you put yourself, just think now, your son, your daughter, your child, they make requests unto you for something you have power to give. Something that's within your control and it's made them exceeding sorrowful, could you withhold that? But the Lord, the Lord withheld deliverance from the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not let the cup pass. You know why that is? There was no other means. If it was possible... But you know, except the Lord Jesus go to the cross, it was not possible that deliverance could come to the elect of God. It had to be this way. Well, I, man can do this. Man can do that. There's going to be another man. It's going to be the church. There was this prophet. There's been that prophet. This apostle. No, no, no. If it had been possible, I assure you God the Father would have allowed His only begotten Son out under the weight of the cross of Calvary. He would have answered this prayer and delivered him from the suffering that he was about to face. But know this, with all certainty, it was not possible that God's plan could be accomplished without the Lord Jesus giving His life for our sins. He is the only way. He is the high priest. Well, we're going to go to this man and he's going to make intercession. Jesus Christ is the only man that can make intercession to God for you. He's it. He is the man. So here he is. He's praying, making supplication with strong tears, with uh, strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. So he says in John eleven forty two, that's where he's resurrecting Jesus. But as he's praying, he says, Father, I know that you always hear me. My God, what confidence that the man Jesus Christ had. You know, the church, 
has that confidence in the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. With boldness, we can come to God, not in ourself, but in the redemption and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus and have confidence that God hears us. Why? Because we've got a high priest that can get into where God's at. Our high priest hasn't slipped up. He's not off duty. He's not taking a nap. He's not sick today. Our high priest has accomplished his work and he is making intercession. And through him, we have the confidence that he had because we're coming to God through him. That's the way the church, the people of God pray. He knew that God always heard him. My God, if we could have that confidence, that could bring great peace, couldn't it? You know, sin robs us of that confidence. It don't rob me of my salvation, but when I don't do as I ought, the devil, who's a sly, sly beast, he's there in my mind, and he says, you've not done right. You've sinned. You don't even need to bother with praying. You don't even need to bow your face. You don't even need to say words because you've sinned and you're guilty. Well, there's good word for that as well. I write these things that you sin not, but if any man sin, we've got an advocate. His work's not finished, and I, I don't want to say that wrong in any way, but you know, he's there with the Father presently, even at this hour, and he's there making intercession for the church. We've got an advocate with the Father, the propitiation for our sins. If we've sinned, we can come to Him and He's got the remedy for our sins. You could go to the high priest. You could go to Aaron and he'd have a remedy and an answer for your question. How much greater the Lord Jesus Christ has the remedy to our sin. Don't let the devil rob you of what the Lord Jesus purchased for you. Was heard in that he feared. So his prayer, his request was heard. Was it answered? Now think about that before you answer it. Was it answered? He was not delivered from the suffering but he's praying, God, not my will. God, let your will. God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. But I recognize that you are the supreme power and divinity, that you are the one that's in control. God, let your will be done and let your will overrule what I want to be done. Man has a hard time with that. But he's heard in that he feared. Was he afraid of God? He's the only begotten Son. But it's reverence. That's what the word means. He held God in reverence. And when he's praying, he's saying, God, not my will, but thine. You know more than I know. Now, you, you may not like that. But the Lord Jesus, the man, the Lord Jesus, spoke the words, I don't know, nor do the angels. Only my Father in heaven knows 
when the time of the end is going to come. The Lord Jesus said those words. So He, the Lord Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and it was not robbery, yet when He's praying to God, He says, God, don't let my will overrule Your will. Would to God that could be our mindset. Because I guarantee you this now, God knows better than you know. God sees farther than you see. God knows the end. And He knew it from the beginning. You know what we know right now? We know right now and what's already happened. That we might pray and hold God in His reverential position as the all-knowing God. God, this is what I want. He made His request known. But not my will, Thine be done. Though He were a son. Now, we've got a little parable in the gospel, they ask Peter, does your master pay taxes? Does he pay tribute? Peter didn't know how to answer. And he come back and that was troubling him. And the Lord knew it. He didn't say anything to the Lord. But the Lord knew it and He said, do they ask taxes of the children or of others? Peter said, of others. And the Lord said, then are the children free? Ain't that the way it works? I mean, if anybody's going to have an easier time from me, it's going to be my children. If I'm going to be merciful now on anybody in the world, it's going to be those that belong to me. If the king is going to show favor on any man in the kingdom, it's going to be his boy. If the king's going to choose a successor, going to be one of His seed. Well, you know who the Lord Jesus is? He is the only. There's not another. And you've heard it in your life. Those only children, they tend to be more spoiled than those that come from bigger families. You know why that is? There's only one to have affection and love for. And here, the Lord Jesus is the only begotten Son and not just a Son, In Proverbs, you read that a son can cause great shame on the mother and the father. Jesus wasn't like that. God spoke out of heaven more than one time. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. He was the only begotten and the beloved son of God. And though he were a son yet learn the obedience. This ain't a spoiled prince that's been sheltered and held back and give the silver spoon and treated well because he's a child of the king. No, the Son of God is going to learn obedience. And do you know how he's going to learn it? How'd your children learn it? You taught it to them. They were learned through discipline and direction and instruction, they learned obedience from your hand. Well, the Lord Jesus is going to learn obedience and He's going to learn it by the things which He suffered. So when the devil says, well, God's going to have you go through this and He's not ever been through anything like that before, know this, the Lord Jesus knows what it is to obey. And He knows what it is to obey that 
that he did not want to obey. That that he despised. That that he hated. That that he did not want to endure. The Lord Jesus learned obedience and endured it at the will and at the command of God. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience and not just through a whipping. But he learned obedience as he says in Philippians that he was obedient unto death, even the very death of the cross. Not just dying of a heart attack, but he endured the suffering as we've already read at the hands of wicked man and he was obedient unto God even unto the very end. Keeping, following, and doing the will of God as God led and as God will would have it to be. So in Psalm 69, now we've talked about the man that he loved, that he had feelings as you and I have. And in Psalm 69, you can see another picture of this. I realize we've been in Psalms a lot. I've heard it called, it's songs is what it is. We have a hymnal, but I've heard it called the hymn book. Him being Jesus. And I believe that's very fitting for the book of Psalms. In Psalm 69, verse number 19, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none. Now before you say that's David speaking, uh, they gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, and as He looked, and they all forsook Him and fled, and He was despised, there was no comforter, there was nobody on His side, there was nobody seeking His well-being, His heart was broken. He wept when Lazarus died. And here, his heart's broken on the cross and he's learning obedience. He knows what it is to obey. He learned it through how that he suffered. And being made perfect. Now, that wording, that can throw us for a loop for just a minute. But it doesn't mean that his suffering made him more perfect. He was perfect before he ever suffered. This is the meaning of the word. It means to be accomplished, complete, perfected, or to consummate. So his suffering, you know what he did in his obedience? He accomplished, he completed, he consummated the plan of God for salvation. He, as he said, it is finished. He obeyed God to the very end. He obeyed God through all of the suffering until the entire plan of God was completed. He did not tap out early. He did not get upset halfway through and faint. But He endured it all until the work of God was accomplished. And having perfected the plan of God, He became the author now that's a, that's a beautiful word. I'm going to read you the definition. This is just as it's written. 
in Strong's author, causative, that is a causer. He is the causer of eternal salvation. He is the one that by Him, through Him, accomplished by His work, He caused the salvation for the church of the living God. It was Him that brought salvation and there is no salvation in any other. In John chapter 10, I give unto them eternal life. Listen in John 10. Verse 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know what His children have got? A salvation that is 100% complete, accomplished, and because of Him, it can never be taken from them. They have something that is secure. Well, preacher, what if I do this? If you belong to God, The salvation of God is secure in Christ Jesus. Well, now, you've got to do this to maintain it. I beg your pardon. I'm not the causer of my eternal salvation. The church is not the causer of my eternal salvation. The Lord Jesus and His obedience and uh, submission to the will of God, He caused salvation to be available for man. He caused it and completed, accomplished, consummated the plan of God. So now listen. When anybody says that yeah you believe but you also in order to be saved, that is a lie and a false doctrine. If you have to do something or add to the work of Jesus in order to be or maintain salvation, you are leaning upon a false doctrine, a doctrine of the devil. This is a completed work and Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Now if I receive it, I asked a fellow this one time, If I come down here tonight under conviction by the call of God and I pray for mercy and God hears me and saves me, can I be lost tomorrow? If it's eternal, if this is true and the salvation that we received was through the accomplished work of Jesus, and He's the author of eternal salvation, then it's secure in Him. There's no laboring to be saved. None. No, there's rest in the work of the Lord Jesus. The author of eternal salvation, and as He says in Hebrews 7 verse 24, because He abideth forever, He has an unchangeable priesthood. And He's able to save them to the uttermost. Not one place missed. His salvation is to the uttermost, to the farthest reaches. His salvation reaches to bring man out of sin 
and into the family of Almighty God. Resting in Him. Unto all them that obey Him to hear under as a subordinate. Now there is left now. It's not that He's died and everybody's saved. Some hold that opinion. But there is this. Those that are saved, obey Him. In Matthew 7, we've got that parable, that familiar parable that we've heard our whole life that our kids sing about of the wise man that built his house on the sand. You know what he was? Or the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. He was a man that heard the Word of God and did not obey what God said. Now you know what the end of that man's house was? You know what the end of it was. It was complete and utter ruin. And that's compared with a wise man that dug deep, built his house on a rock, and the storm came, and the winds blew, and the floods rose, and his house stood through it all. And that wise man was the one that heard the Word of God and followed what God said. So this salvation, it's finished. It's accomplished. It's complete. And it's eternal. But if I do not come as a subordinate under the Word of God, I'm going to do as he says in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to miss... I'm going to neglect the salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished and I'm going to stand before God in my sins. So the Lord Jesus submitted Himself to this. God caused Him to go to the cross. He accomplished the work of God and I'm going to neglect to hear what He says and I'm going to be saved. How shall we escape if we neglect This great salvation. Is there any escape outside of the Lord Jesus? When the Lord was here, and I believe it was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter said, let's build a tabernacle for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah. God said, this is my son. Hear ye him. Don't listen to anybody else. Hear what the Lord says. He's accomplished eternal salvation for those that submit to the call and to the Word of the Lord God. So you see, man's not got any out here. The thought of, well, I believe and I'm trusting in Jesus if there's no obedience, then by the book, there's no eternal salvation. There's no consolation of hope, even though, even though this work's already done and was done for you, God says to those that obey Him, they'll receive forgiveness, they'll receive mercy, they'll receive grace. But unto them that are contentious, you know what they're doing? They're contending with the Word of God. They're arguing with what God says. God's Word comes and I am more correct than God's Word is. And they do not obey. Those that are contentious and do not obey, they're going to argue with the Word of God and I'm not going to do that. 
indignation and wrath upon those souls who are contentious and do not obey the truth. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's the Lord Jesus. The eternal priest. The one who submitted himself to the will of God and not to endure some little thing. He submitted Himself to the will of God unto death, even the death of the cross, endured the, uh, the shame, the mocking, the beatings, the scourgings, the rejection, the hatred, the spitting, and they, I didn't even mention this, but you know where they hung Him up at? Between two thieves. Maybe murderers. Between two criminals, the scum of the earth. He endured all that, that we could obtain salvation, and God hath highly exalted him and made him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You want to come to God? There's a way made. The Lord Jesus, through His submission, made a way that we can come to God. And through Jesus, we have guaranteed acceptance. That's what He says. Those that come to Me, I will in no wise cast Him out. Guaranteed acceptance through the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been promoted with a name above every name, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, so much greater than Aaron, so much greater than Moses, so much greater than the prophets, and greater than the angels, and greater than all of mankind, the Lord Jesus made a way for you to be saved. But if we neglect to hear Him, all of that work it's going to be condemnation upon our soul. And wrath, I mean, you, you've heard it said here, I, I'm sure, before, that people that go to hell, they're going to go over top of the Word and the blood of the Son of God. And He says as much in Hebrews that have trodden underfoot the Son of God, they've wiped their feet on the Word of God, they've thought nothing of uh, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that will not obey the truth of God. What's left for them then? Torment. Torment. That's all that's on our heart. Anything you'd like to say?